Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. such a gift to us as a church and to me personally. Caesar first came to us his senior year of college at Davidson when he did an internship, helped us get our remix up and running. He then came on staff part-time, then full-time. Caesar leads our youth ministry, our remix, both high school and middle school. Caesar uh, leads our, our worship environment teams to take care of everything in this room. Uh, Caesar has been an incredible gift to us as a church and a deep personal gift to me just as a co-laborer in ministry. Uh, I'm so grateful for Caesar. Not only that, but uh, we've been getting to watch Caesar grow. God has gifted Caesar with insights into scripture and a great gift of communication. So you're in for a special treat. Uh, now, before we get to that, stand up, turn to your neighbor and tell them what was your worst camp moment ready go good morning like four shirts that was that was an intro um that was that was very flattering thank you aaron i appreciate that um yeah i'm caesar i'm caesar guerrero um do a lot of things here um and today i'm preaching um so i'm really excited to be here with you guys if this is your first time here i'm really excited um that you chose to join us on the weekend of fourth of july um, but uh, something that happened last weekend that was a pretty big deal in my life. Um, I've been a part of Lake Forest Church for a while, and you guys see me grow um, quite a bit. And the next thing that I entered into was engagement. I proposed to my girlfriend, uh, Katie, uh, last week. I made the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. I'm uh, really happy. And then she made the worst decision that she's ever made in her entire life by saying yes. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I know I'm a catch. I, I know I'm a pretty good guy. I'm what conservative and liberal politicians call a triple threat. Um, I'm, in, I'm uh, employed, I'm educated, and I'm a Mexican. So I have all three. If I didn't have one of those, I'd be a, I'd be a, a target more than a threat. Um, so uh, yeah, that's me. And, and even with all those advantages, you know, dating was really hard. And so I'm really glad that Katie said yes. Um, but um, yeah, dating was really hard, um, and uh, if you know anybody who's in their 20s and is looking for their soulmate out there, you would you maybe heard some of these crazy stories of just how awkward things can get or weird the, the culture, the dating culture is nowadays with dating apps that, that really makes things weird, um, just kind of the awkward conversations that you have with uh, family members or people that you know who are trying to set you up with their friends or trying to set you up with their family members or just people that they know who have a pulse because they feel bad for you. And so everyone's trying to, you know, get you together. And it just gets really awkward. Um, but believe it or not, being in ministry actually made it even more hard and more awkward because right off the bat, Saturday nights are off the table because you have to be up at 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday uh, to get ready for church. And so, um, yeah, things just weren't adding up. And, you know, when you go on first dates, you know, things are great. Things are light. Things are fun. Um, but then as soon as she um, asks, well, what do you do, um, you get really tense because you're in ministry. And so um, the conversation goes from light and fun to now awkward, a little bit more serious. And, you know, you're talking about religion all of a sudden. Um, and so just to give you guys a little bit of a, of a kind of scenario where you have to figure out what I should, what I should have said in those moments, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a pop quiz. So if a girl asks you, what do you do for work? And if you're in ministry, it's the first date. Do you answer with A, 
I work for a religious nonprofit on the west side of Lake Norman. You know, kind of keep it, you know, vague so you don't get too much into the religion and beliefs because that makes people uncomfortable on a first date. Uh, or maybe B, I organize a network of adult mentors to serve at-risk teenagers. You know, go the philanthropy route, right? Make sure you're like, oh, he's a nice guy, you know, serving at-risk teenagers. Or do you just go out with C and say, I lead a church youth group and then have to explain, you know, like, I hang out with students for a living. And she's like, oh, that's really interesting. You get talking about beliefs and stuff like that. Things get awkward. Um, But really the answer is D. It's not up on here. We'll be on here in a minute. You smile, you shake her hand, pay for her drink, drive home, and binge watch BuzzFeed videos the rest of the night. And it's a safe bet. It it really diffuses the awkward situation. And so um, you guys have no idea, or you have a little bit of idea now, but um, you guys have no real idea how grateful I am to have Katie in my life. Um, Katie loves God. She trusts Christ and listens to the Holy Spirit um, in such a way that I receive on a daily basis a glimpse of God's character. And it's really the reason why I proposed to her, you know, the reason why, you know, I love her. And and I'm really excited to to take that next step in our relationship. And it's really great. And so um, I'm really happy. This is where you guys say, aww. Yeah, but... um, but yeah, so I'm really excited, and, and I've always really valued relationships. I've always, you know, liked having close friends. I don't have many friends. I have close friends. Um, I've always um, liked connecting with people, and, and really because, you know, I've, I've not always been a great friend. I've not always been a perfect um, partner, but I've always known that God does his best work in the context of relationships. And so I've learned and relearned and relearned and relearned because, you know, we're not perfect at these things. Um, this is just important truth about God. And this is something I think many people learn in different contexts, but I learned it through relationships. And it's this. God is committed to closeness with us. And that's a truth that I've relearned, had to come to, to just remind myself of, but I've really recognized this most in relationships. And, and today, this morning, we're going to walk through this truth. And I want to use someone from the Bible to really illustrate this truth that um, God is committed to closeness with us. And so today, we're going to look at a man named Samson. Samson is a guy who on the surface has a lot of things going for him, but when you get to know him a little better, you, get, you start to see some major red flags, a lot like dating. Uh, you get to know someone at the beginning, oh, this is going to go you know, somewhere nice, and then maybe some red flags start showing up. But if you don't know who Samson is, if you don't know his story, uh, one of my friends who she's online dating has found his profile on one of the dating apps. And so we're going to walk through his profile a little bit, get a glimpse of what Samson might be at first glance. And so um, she sends me this screenshot, and this is his profile pic on his dating app. This is Samson. Um, He's a manly guy. He looks pretty good. He has high cheekbones. You know, girls kind of like that kind of stuff. Um, Next um, screenshot she sends me is him with a full beard, you know, because not every guy can grow a full beard. Um, and so when, if a guy has a, a clean-shaven pick and a full beard pick, you know, you're like, okay, he's versatile, you know. And, I, I mean, I've, I have a handicap of only being able to grow a mustache. I'm only halfway there. Um, but Samson, he can grow a beard. He's a versatile guy. Um, next pic she sends me um, is just a classic gym pic, which is you get this. All, you see all of this, you know, on, a, on a, the online dating profiles, you know, some guy, you know, in the gym. He's, Samson here is doing CrossFit, you know, pulling ropes around and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so Samson likes to work out. And then the last picture, we get a, you know, the, the nice side of Samson. He's, he's smiling. He's beaming. He's a guy who likes to have fun. And by the looks of this picture, um, he's, a, he's a cat guy. He likes cats. And so if that's a deal breaker um, for you, cats are a deal breaker, then Samson might not be your guy. But then I decided to read his bio. I thought this was pretty interesting. It says, sup, it's your boy Sammy. I'm six foot five, 255 pounds. 
looking for love in all the wrong places. I have a strict diet and I don't drink, so don't judge me and I won't judge you. Killer dance moves. I've always been told that I know how to bring down the house. Don't ask me to cut my man bun. I'm a Jewish, but Sabbath is for the boys. So you get a kind of a fun, flirty sense for Sam. He's an interesting guy. And if you go to actually where the scripture talks about Samson, you kind of at the beginning, at an initial glance when his um, story is first starting, you get that kind of, uh, of an interesting, cool guy Samson vibe from him. And so as a matter of fact, beginning of Judges, you get a really hopeful view of Samson. God has a unique role for Samson to play in God's story. And so his story starts like this in Judges, big number 13, little numbers 2-5. That's what I use with students, you know, because chapters and verses are a little confusing. Um, so big numbers, numbers are there. So this is how his story starts. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So Samson's story starts out, you know, with his parents getting this awesome promise. Samson will have a personal mission in this world that only he can accomplish, and he's going to reestablish closeness between God and God's people. And so you might be asking the question that I was asking when I was reading this text, why, are, why is there separation between God and God's people? Why is, why is God's people in the hands of the Philistines? And so um, what you need to know about the book of Judges is that this is a longer story, and it's, it's depicting a reality that existed in, in Israel's past. And when you read through Judges, you realize that God's people and God were distant because God's people didn't want anything to do with God anymore. It's this weird, dark scenario where Samson is born into where, where God's people has, has gradually developed this delusion that they actually chose God. That God didn't save them, God didn't rescue them from Egypt, God didn't lead them into the promised land in kindness and in gentleness, but they sort of began to believe this delusion that they chose God and that they're going to choose how to worship him and that they're going to define the parameters for this relationship. And it really leads to some broken ways of worship that Israel was now um, just developing, some really heinous, evil things. And so they get to the point where they have fully developed this delusion. They chose God and are now doing really evil things. And so in Judges chapter 13, verses 1, the story goes, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is a very bleak, kind of a sad story to be led to up to this point to Samson's birth. But it's really great because you have this awesome leader who's about to be born. Because God is a God who is committed to closeness with us. He chooses Samson to lead God's people back to God. God was about to rescue his people again, and Samson was going to be God's hand in this, so that we have a glimmer of hope. It's a great start for Samson, but just like the dating world, red flags don't show up until a couple months into the relationship. And so let's look at a couple of red flags that Samson starts to display in his own story. Red flag number one, Samson is vengefully violent. Like, whoa. Samson goes to a Philistine town. He marries a Philistine woman. In Judges chapter 14, verses 10 through 15, begins the story like this. 
And there Samson held a feast after he got married, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. So Samson's already kind of getting a little suspicious at this point, because who gives you friends? Usually you get to pick your friends, um, but these Philistine people, people that there's not a good relationship between Israel and Philistine at this point, and they're giving him friends. And so Samson kind of picks up on this and kind of tries to throw it back in their face. And he says to them, let me tell you a riddle. Samson said to them, if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Samson plays right into their prejudice, the prejudice of the Philistines. And it's like, oh, well, surely, you know, Philistines are so much smarter than Israelites. You guys are, are governing us. You guys are, being, are oppressing us, putting us in our place. So if, if, you know, this dumb little Israelite were to give you a riddle, surely you would be able to solve it. And let's make things more interesting. How about if you lose, then you have to give those 30 friends of mine some new clothes. You know, you're going to give me these people just out of the blue, all, all out of nowhere, um, but let's, let's make this more interesting. You have to clothe them if you don't get the riddle right. And so the Philistines bite, and they say, tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. So Samson tells them the riddle, and the Scripture goes on. It says, for three days they cannot give an answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, who he had just married, coax your husband into explaining this riddle for us, or we will burn you and your family's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? At this point, the story goes from light games to all of a sudden very serious business. And this shows the complexion of the environment Samson was in, where Israel's in. These Philistines are not about fun and games. These these Philistines are serious business. They're very evil people. They're willing to burn others to make a point. So then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't even told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole time, the whole seven days of the feast. And I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, I would be crying too. If I knew I was about to die, if I knew my household, all my family was about to die because of this this weird game that Samson's playing with my people, and he's now my life is on the line, I would be crying for seven days too. This is very serious. This is a very grave situation. And so on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. This is no game, Samson. This is my life. This is my family's life. And so he, he yields, and he spares her life, and the Philistines come to Samson and, and solve his riddle. But then Samson responds with some of the most demeaning, bitter words I think I've ever read in Scripture. And he says this to the guys. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. We already get a glimpse now, not only to the heinous kind of tenacity that the Philistines have, but Samson's really warped view of himself. To view his, the people he's supposed to love, people he's supposed to be responsible as his property, as just demeaned just non-humans anymore. Samson is starting to show some red flags here, and he's not showing up to be the hero that we thought he was going to be, what God was going to call him to be. And so, then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. 
burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. What a major flag we have just witnessed in the life of Samson. A major red flag. Samson plays games with the lives of people he's supposed to love, lives that he's responsible for, and is angered to violence, extreme violence, when his ego is bruised. Samson is really not shaping up to be the hero that you thought we were going we to see at the beginning of his story. But did you catch the phrase in the middle of Samson's family drama? Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now, when I was re- reading this, this was when I was starting to get a little uncomfortable by the story because I began to ask questions like, why would God be doing this at this time? Why would he be using Samson at this time. Samson is a broken guy. Samson is a guy who has a, has a pretty big red flag already showing up, and he's giving him strength. I thought Bible characters were supposed to be the good guys, the guys who were really upright, morally, and righteous. And so what I've learned is that Scripture is no Disney fairy tale, and Samson's story exemplifies this well. Israel is delusional. Samson is caught up in dangerous family drama and is arrogantly provoking an oppressive and evil group of people who are willing to kill anyone who associates with Samson. But yet God is still active. And God is wanting to bring his people back to him. But unfortunately, Samson is so blinded by his own personal agenda that he has lost sight of God's purpose for him. Which brings us to the next red flag that I want to show us today. Red flag number two, Samson is stubbornly nearsighted. After this disaster of a wedding reception and, and ceremony, which I hope doesn't happen for Katie and I, this is that's a really gruesome tale. Samson, all by himself, with no army, with no nation behind him, continues to antagonize and provoke the Philistines over and over and over again. The battle has become personal. He is no longer battling the Philistines on God's behalf, even though he is being empowered by God because God has a purpose for him. He is not doing it on God's behalf. He's doing it all for his own glory. And after one such battle with the Philistines, he writes himself a worship song. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone who writes themselves a song about themselves, like a song of praise. It's really, really weird. And it goes like this. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Samson is celebrating something very violent. He's celebrating something that he believes he brought to his own um, fruition. And Samson is only focused on Samson at this point. He's blatantly arrogant in his personal campaign against the Philistines. And Samson is supposed to be leading God's people, but this has become too personal. And Samson is turning out to be a real bust. And sadly, and eventually, this one-man army approaches, this one-man army of Samson approaches um, his abrupt halt. He gets captured by the Philistines. They jail him, cut off his hair as a huge statement of shame. He's tortured. They take his eyes out and force him to dance for them in front of all the Philistine leaders. This is really gruesome stuff. It's all in the book of Judges, so if you're bored, go read it for yourself. I'm going through it really really quickly because this is a really tragic story. Israel's disobedience, delusion, and blindness, um, their captivity is now personified in their leader, Samson. It's a very, very bleak, a very, very dark look for Israel and their leader, Samson. 
And so when I'm reading through the story this week and last week, I was like, man, like, this is really going to be a tough story. I, I should have maybe read the story first before I picked Samson to preach on. Because um, I get to this point, and I'm like, man, I'm having to struggle with some hard questions now at this point. Um, I begin to ask the, the really obvious question, why is this story in the Bible? Um, I think of the Bible as a, as a place to look for examples, a place to look for maybe some guidance in life. I don't really look to the Bible as a place where I'm going to get a clear picture of an utter failure, of a broken, very violent person. So why is this story in the Bible? And so when I did my research, uh, it turns out over and over again, you get this common narrative that people are saying, well, the book of Judges and Samson's story within this whole narrative is one, is one of warning. It's one to say, hey, watch out for turning away from God to other things because things can go off the rails really quickly. And so I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I don't want Samson's story to be my, my story. So Samson's story, I was like, okay, that's a good warning. And so um, I was okay with that. Um, but there's this part of me that I couldn't reconcile um, because there's this person who also writes something later on in the New Testament, the author of the book of Hebrews. They write this beautiful paragraph that describes people who have followed God in faith. The writer of New Testament book of Hebrews lists out these people who had faith and, how God, and shows how God used them in the long line of human history to bring us closer to him. And do you know who the author includes? They include Samson. So now I have to ask the question again, why is Samson's story in the Bible? Because Samson could be an utter failure. He is an utter failure, but he could just, just be an example of what not to do, how not to follow God. But this person is including him as a hero of faith, as a good guy, a good example. And so I continue to read what the person writes in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And they say, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and all the prophets. It's like, why do they include this, this person that I just read so many bad things about? Why do they include him as a hero of the faith? And I begin to ask the question, what else does the author of Hebrews know that allows them to see Samson not only as a warning against disobedience, but as an example of great faith. They continue to write Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So how can, the author of Sam, how can the author see Samson as a bad example and as a good example? To put it simply, the author knows Jesus. The author knows Jesus as pioneer and as perfecter. When Jesus is the pioneer of faith, then there is no room to believe the delusion that we chose God. Jesus is the starting line of faith, not just the end destination. Faith is a gift and not a reward, and Israel fell into evil when they forgot that God is the one who initiates the rescue, who initiates the salvation. God made the promise first, and they followed. So when Jesus is the pioneer of the faith, of faith, faith is the gift that is at the beginning of our journey with Jesus. Jesus is one who initiates this journey. And so faith 
is no longer something that we just receive if we do a really good job, because now Jesus is the perfecter of the faith as well. There is no room to believe that performance gives you more faith. Samson's life is considered a tragedy if we simply look at his performance, but through the eyes of Jesus, we can see his life with kindness and find hope for our own life. If this man, with all of his terrible red flags, with all his terrible habits and decisions, can be considered a man of great faith, then there has to be hope for all of us. Being a Christian isn't defined by our striving to be as close to God as possible. God is the one who's committed to closeness with us. He is perfect, and he will make us perfect. He will refine us. He will sanctify us. And that's great hopeful news for guys like Samson, guys like me who have a past, who have done things they have regretted, who have lots of failures, but to know that Jesus is the pioneer, the person who started this whole journey, and also the perfecter, the person who will see this journey out. To have faith in Jesus provides us hope. So my question for you today is, who do you need Jesus to be? Today, in this moment, do you need Jesus to be the pioneer of your faith? Someone who will start it? Someone who um, will initiate the rescue, the salvation that God so desperately wants to give you? Maybe you've been going through life thinking that you have to choose God in such a way to get his attention and maybe he'll give you something in return. Does Jesus need to be the pioneer of your faith? Or maybe you need Jesus to be your perfecter. Maybe you've already started following Jesus and man, have things not been going so well. If, anything, if you're anything like me, you've developed some bad habits, you have regrets and failures that make you question whether or not you've even started your following of Jesus, but do you need to know that Jesus is your perfecter this morning? That Jesus is going to see this thing through. And so wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I want to give us a couple of seconds just to reflect on that question. Do I need Jesus to be the pioneer, the initiator, the starter of my faith? Or do I need him to be the perfecter of my faith? To know that my performance does not make my faith grow more. My performance doesn't even make sure that my faith is real. That God is the one who desires closeness to us. So let's pray.